0: This is Paul Leary, and you are listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast.
1: I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yes, sir. Chris, you want to jump in first?
2: Okay, so I was just... um, We got this interview yesterday and i was like okay so i was listening to the album just now and the first song that came up do you like to eat a cow and (laughs) not only did i find it not only did i find the messaging like bang on but it's also somewhat of a political statement but done with humor um which i found like i was rolling like do i want to eat the penis of a pig well obviously (laughs) i don't (laughs) so So you have this kind of political statement wrapped up in humor. Um, How, and this is something that you've kind of always done, I guess, but how did you come about reaching that point? Is it just something that came naturally to you, or is it something that you really worked on and crafted over a long time?
0: Yeah, well, that particular album was like 10 years in the making. I think it was, when I started out, I was hoping it was going to be a Butthole Surfer album, and then that kind of fell apart, and so I just decided to finish it myself. And uh, I tend to come up with ridiculous song ideas when I'm riding a bicycle around town, and that one came to me over a period of like a couple of weeks. I had to record it just to get it out of my head. Yeah, I I have nothing against people eating the penis of a pig or any of that other stuff. (laughs) I just just think it's cool to be honest about it when you're doing it.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I just thought I just I was just laughing because I was just like, this could be like an anthem for. the vegetarian population or the vegan population you know and then welcome to do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then the next one i saw was sugar is a gateway drug that one was one of the ones that got me i can't tell you i well the thing that got me about it is i'm from canada and like i almost never had sugar because it's just not a big thing in canada as much i moved down here and you can't escape sugar it's everywhere it's in everything it's like everything they put it in every, everything milk <laughs> yeah it's like i i got yogurt down here and i was like holy shit!" like I, this thing's gonna give me cavities you know <laughs> So like um i was just laughing because it almost seemed like a children's song but it was so brilliant in its delivery that it was too advanced to be a children's song and i just found uh, the writing brilliance in this album to be something that I wasn't really expecting, to be honest. Well, thank you. Yeah. Bruce?
1: So, yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about the favorites, I kind of really liked uh, Speedo Man caught my attention right off the bat.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's a bonus track on my uh, reissue album. So Speedo what made Man you...
2: Damn near made me piss my pants when they... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know, You know, that's... I recorded that about thirty years ago when I recorded the rest of that album that's being re-released, and I don't know. I just there was this guy in town that was known as Speedo Jim, who was like he was on the punk scene, but it was rumored to hang out at parties and speedos where you know guys were hanging out in speedos, and I think that was the inspiration for the song. But nice,
2: hard what to was remember the- thirty years later, I guess, right? <laughs>
1: What was it like going back and revisiting those songs after so many years, getting ready to reissue it? Were there any second guesses or maybe I shouldn't do this? Oh,
0: nothing but second guesses. I mean, it it was just, uh, I didn't want to do it for the longest time. I mean, when that album came out, I think a couple of years later, I took boxes of those records to the dump. You know, I was just ready to, the whole album came from a, a dark period of my life that I don't even like to remember. Right. and so. Going through this album, kind of was dredging all that experience up again, and so it, it wasn't a whole lot of fun. It was, you know, it was a dark time. But uh, Kramer from Shimmy Disc really wanted to re-release it, and over time, he kind of wore me down, and, and now here it comes.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. About
0: like two well, weeks, it, from uh, it, maybe. Right? You know, I've <clears throat> I've lost track. I, I wasn't sure if it was coming out this week or next week or or what. But
1: yeah, my notes say the seventeenth.
0: Yeah, that sounds good to me.
2: Uh, i know you i know you don't like to remember but what was so dark about that time if you don't mind me asking
0: oh it was uh you know the we we weren't making a whole lot of money at the time and being on the road with the butthole surfers and just the 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 whole shock value of every night being in, in total mayhem and and then coming home and and feeling out of place and uh Being in a a marriage that wasn't working out so well, I'm in a great marriage right now. (laughs) It's it's not a whole lot of good memories from 1990 for me, you know. I think there's a lot of
2: people that don't really understand that about touring musicians, you know. Like, they go out, and they're the center of attention, and things are just over-the-top crazy. You're playing to people that love you, and they might think the world of you, but you might not have a dime in your pocket, you know. And then all of this is happening and you have all these conflicting emotions of like, holy shit, we're on top of the world. Holy shit, my bank account's empty. Holy shit, they love me. Holy shit, my life is falling apart at home. (laughs) Holy shit, you know, like, this is amazing. I can't wait to go on the road. Holy shit, I can't pay rent. You know, and then you get home and you're like, how the fuck am I gonna pay rent? How the hell am I gonna do any of this stuff? You know? and But yet you still have that one love, which is music. So how did you kind of rectify that situation?
1: I became a record producer, (laughs) which is actually really interesting because I didn't know all of, I I went down the rabbit hole prepping for this thing and I didn't realize that you had uh, produced U2 and sublime. And I mean, I was totally in a rabbit hole. That's how did you end up with like bands like that? And
0: well, I'd been producing Butthole surfers albums. I didn't even know I was producing them or what a producer was, but that's kind of what I was doing. And, uh, and, there was a time back in the late '80s when I was listening to this band called the Bad Livers that were out of Austin. It was a bluegrass band. They would do things like Hendrix covers and stuff. They were a lot of fun, and I'd go see them like every week. and And one day, I told them that I'd pay I'd pay for the recording studio if they'd let me produce an album for free. <laughs> and they did, and I, and I made an album uh, called "Delusions of Banger by the Bad Livers, and uh, you know, it was a cool album and everything. And then. A little while, a few years later, you know, we made an album with John Paul Jones and I played the Meat Puppets for John Paul Jones quite a bit. And the Meat Puppets asked me if I would contact John Paul Jones and see if he'd be interested in producing them, which I thought would be a shoo-in because I thought he liked him. And, I, you know, I asked him and he said no. And so, <laughs> so I gave the message back to the Meat Puppets and they were like, well, you know, we like that Bad Livers album. Would you, would you do that? So that album that I did for free led led to my first paying gig as a producer, and that had a radio hit and went gold, and and then that led to to Sublime, and then it's been happily ever after. That's wonderful. So
2: this is really cool. You know, you go from like a songwriter, performer, to a producer, which is the path a lot of people take. It's the path I took as well. I haven't produced U two or Sublime, however. But <laughs> yeah, I, was actually, I was actually
0: just a uh, engin- recording and mix engineer for oh, oh, U produ- two. The producer was Chris Renna, who, who was drummer for Nine Inch Nails for a while, and he uh, they they contacted U two contacted him to do a remix of a song for like a some movie. I can't remember which one it was. And so he and his buddy got together and they did a remix, and they, but they played guitars and drums and did a bunch of stuff on their own. And you 2 liked it, but they wanted to play the stuff themselves. So they like uh, flew us out to Los Angeles to this big fancy studio and they came in on their 707, you know, during the middle of their tour. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm the engineer and I've never, you know, been a recording engineer except, you know, for the bottle surfers, which really doesn't count. And so I'm, like, trying to record guitars and drums and stuff, and I'm telling them, hey, guys, be patient with me. This is my first gig, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you too. And... My it's... first gig. Yeah. Edge,
2: hook up your Vox AC30. Let's go. <laughs> it was,
0: they were real nice about it, and they were a lot of fun. They didn't know who I was uh, until the end when Chris Frentice said, said to them as we were getting ready to leave, he goes, hey, do you know that, that this guy is uh, Paul Leary? And Edge goes, oh, you're the guitar player for the Jack Officers. <laughs> and I was like pretty blown away by that because not many people know that.
1: That's funny. That's really funny. Are you planning on taking this on the road at so, all?
0: No, I'm done with the road. Oh, I right. had plenty of that. Yeah, I've seen every Denny's in America, and then they, you know. <laughs> and I
1: imagine touring in these me. days anyway. <laughs>
0: It's just not fun. You know, I've got, a, I've got a really cool house and a cool neighborhood with a great wife and I can do whatever I want. I don't even have to get out of bed if I don't feel like it. It's a great life. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah,
2: that, that, that sounds like a great life to me. <laughs> like, why would I go to another Motel 6 and eat at Denny's or get, or get the Motel 6 Continental Breakfast,
0: you know? <laughs> the, the Mexicali omelet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I stopped work. I, I had a computer blow up in my studio. And so I stopped working for two years, you know, and then I, then all of a sudden I woke up one day and I realized, God, I can't take this anymore. I, you know, I thought it was, I thought I was going to retire and it'd be all great. So I went out and bought a new computer and now I'm back to work again. And there's a new passion. Can I ask, can I ask you a question?
1: Why wait two years to replace a computer? I thought I was going to retire. Just, you thought, thought, well, this is, this is a sign,
0: you know, it was one of those deals where, um, the computer blew out and it took out my boot drive and it also took out my time machine drive. So I was left with nothing, you know? Oh my God. And so eventually, you know, I got a new computer and started over from scratch and rebuilt, you know, all you know, my pro tools and my plugins and my, you know, sound libraries and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm, I've got a really great system. Nice.
2: Uh, oh, that's awesome. I love hearing great systems. Did you, did, did you just
0: recently build the system or? Well, I've been, you know, I've had a studio in my house for, you know, twenty years or more, but it just keeps getting better and better. And the, you know, this last year I put a a bunch of money into it and upgraded equipment and monitors and stuff. And now it's like, wow, I'm getting some really good stuff. You know, my mixing has come a long ways in the last year. So, isn't that cool? Is like
2: that? That's something I love about mixing and producing. It's like you're it's you're never done you know there's always more to do there's always always more to learn for sure yeah absolutely like and mixing is
0: wild you know you look at mixing and think well that can't be too hard you know you turn the treble up you turn the guitar down whatever and, and man it's 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 hard
2: oh yeah it gets intense especially when things start masking and you're like okay now where is this going you know and you you have this the band saying this part needs to be front and center. And you're like, holy fuck, that sits in the exact same space as everything else in this mix. How the fuck am I going to
0: do this? You know? Well, yeah. the answer to that question and every other question is parallel compression. <laughs> <laughs> nice. In the old days, you know, like when, we, when we'd when we be in the studio with an engineer and and putting the poor guy through, the, through that very same stuff, they'd it, be like, and that that needs to be a little brighter, and he'd reach over to the knob and pretend to turn the knob, but he wasn't turning. And goes, "Is that better?" You know, so I was like, "Yeah, okay. that's it."
2: <laughs> I saw, I saw this great, I saw the greatest uh, little meme the other day, and it was like every studio needs a client fader. So you you put a fader, and it's all marked out with a star and everything. And they're like, "Okay, I, this needs to come up like half a dB," and they're like, "Okay, the fader's right there. Just use that." And it's not assigned to anything; it's just a client fader. make them feel important you
0: know it reminds me of uh my my good friend stuart sullivan who's engineered a lot of stuff for butthole servers he did be puppet sublime he's i've worked with him for decades he was telling me about recording with uh, jello biafra and they did a project and they finished up real late at night one in the morning or whatever and went home and then at three in the morning jello calls stuart up says you gotta get me back into the studio I, i need to fix something in the mix." And Stuart was just begrudgingly agreed to do it. And they went back in there, you know, at like three in the morning and uh, Stuart was too sleepy to do anything. And, and uh, Jello sat there at the board and started turning knobs and adjusting faders and goes, that's it. I put the teeth back into the mix. And Stuart (laughs) didn't have the heart to tell him that the part of the board he was messing with wasn't even plugged into anything.
1: (laughs) Nice. That's great.
2: That, that's yeah. the downside of mixing in the box now, because there's no like hardware faders. You know, you're just looking at a screen, and every everything is there for you. You know,
0: yeah, pretty much. Although I, you know, I do a, a hybrid analog. You know, I do some mixing in the box, but I've got like really great pieces of analog tube compressors and tube EQs and that kind of stuff, and so it's it doesn't come out like it in the box.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, I know. I'm getting way into the weeds here, but since I'm an audio engineer, I always go into the weeds if someone wants to. Oh, so yeah. Gonna... What kind of tube compressor are you using?
0: Well, I've got one of those uh, Anthony De, uh, DeMario Lab 670. Stereo. Okay. Are, you, are you familiar with that? It's like a, a clone of a Fairchild 670. Yeah, I'm
2: not familiar with that one, but I know the 660 and the 670 for sure. Absolutely. I've used them. I know the people
0: that like those better than the original. It's really stunning. And then I've got like the, the two tech, uh, multi-band compressor. Yeah, and I've got a retro stereo compressor, and I've got a, a an obsidian which isn't tube, but it's still really cool. And then I've got something called, by a company called uh, Heritage Audio. Oh yeah. And then, I've got, and then I've got a bunch of old Neve compressors that I have like fine tuned to be all matched. So I can run you know drum pairs through and things like that. So
2: oh my god, that must have cost you an arm and a leg those Neve compressors.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That was like. Uh, well, they're they're not by any they're by
2: uh oh, okay okay
0: a B A E but it's need components
2: yeah yeah no B A E makes great stuff they make great
0: stuff and I was, and...
2: I was looking at getting a pair of uh ten seventy threes like real ten seventy threes where they take them out of the desk and yeah you know, I've, got one, them. I've got one of those and I was just like twenty two thousand dollars okay I'm not getting that. oh I need to sell mine <laughs> <laughs> <you kidding> <laughs> I
0: think I paid nice. mine four or five thousand for mine and I, th- and I thought i was getting fleeced
2: oh yeah i know the, the the real ones that come out of the desk and they rehoused them in the in the modules yeah. they've gone way up in place so i was just like okay i don't ever use
0: mine too I, I need to sell that that's good to
2: know <laughs> <laughs> yeah they gone way up i was just like holy shit so a friend of mine who's an audio engineer who trained me he always sends me all this audio talk stuff you know like Check out these Neves or check out the Shadow Hills bus compressor. You know, which I have the software version and I can't live without it. But they only make like five or ten a year. I can't remember. It's like ridiculously low and they're like $40,000
0: each. It's <laughs> pretty <laughs> much one of those. Oh, my God. They sound so good. You get to choose nickel transformer or iron transformer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, there's
2: a g- company out of Vancouver called Sonic Farm and they make in my opinion, the best microphone preamps that I've ever heard in my life. Like, it is ridiculous. Like, you just plug it in, and suddenly you're like, oh my God, that's what I've been missing my whole life. And um, they make, like, inline line um, tube, like, uh, line mixers, I guess you say. So you can run your mix through them and stuff, and they just go through tubes. And everyone from, like, Lady Gaga and all these pop mixers use them live too it's
0: really crazy uh, i want to check that mixer out you know i'm like using a dangerous summing device
2: yeah this isn't a summer per se this is just like a line mixer like you plug your stereo mix through it oh okay and it just for whatever reason it just goes hello i'm here your mix has arrived you know it's it's, it's the beauty of tube gear yeah 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 <laughs> Those can we guys bring this bring... Back?
1: should we bring this back to sorry. paul leary <laughs> <laughs> yes we can sorry sorry no, no, I don't mind uh, listening. But So, Paul, are you one of those guys that's always writing, and are you planning on releasing new material?
0: You know, I don't know. I didn't really plan to write. It's just stuff gets in my head, and it tends to stay there unless I record it and work on it and finish it, and then, then, then I can, like, part with it. It's like going to the bathroom or something. <laughs> and so there'll pro- probably be more of that. I really don't plan what I'm going to do. It just kind of comes along.
1: I guess it's helpful. Yeah. To it kind of seems like you. You're...
0: Yeah, that's where I spent all of my time there. <laughs> it kind of
2: the... seems like your work—you worked your way into lucky situations, you know. Like hard work creates luck.
0: Yeah, I've been is that I've been very lucky, and I and I sure appreciate it too.
2: Yeah, but is that is that kind of an accurate statement? Like you worked your fucking ass off trying to get stuff done. Oh, pardon my language, and um. And suddenly you found yourself just put in these situations because you work so hard and those situations may not have been what you envisioned originally, but it's kind of where it took you.
0: Uh, And then I also get like lots of friends that want me to mix songs for them and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's hard to tell them, you know, you're talking about like three or four days of work there, you know, especially depending on what you're going to give me, which is usually going to need a whole lot of work.
2: Right. Well, yeah, especially nowadays. I mean, you get tracks, people will send this to you, make it sound like this platinum record from 1995 or whatever, or even a current one, and you get it, and you're like, oh, that's not possible.
0: Yeah, pay for that. If you wanted that sound, you should have recorded that sound.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, they record a cardboard box. Give me that kick drum from the Black Album. Okay.
0: I find myself replacing entire drum kits far too often oh yeah what are you using for that uh superior drums three and addictive drums two cool cool
2: yeah tracker and superior three is a great little piece of kit tracker yeah like in superior drummer Three. Oh yeah have, that yeah yeah where it grabs the transients for you and you can just drag the midi in
0: you know that's that is a good feature, and I need to do that more. I, I'm so old school that that I go in there and just start plugging in MIDI notes, you know, <laughs> transient by transient.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh,
0: time- I mean, me.
2: <laughs> hell, man. Before, like, before all that, I used to be hired to go in, and there would be like samples in the regions folder back when they were called regions, and I would tab to the transient, and then I would snap the sample in and i would have different velocity samples there and i would just like constantly have to tab and snap samples in all the way through fuck what a i don't miss those days at all
0: no no you don't <laughs> there was a piece of gear called a russian dragon which told you whether you were behind or ahead and the what was it the the windle drum
1: replacer oh yeah
2: yeah
0: Nice. Oh
2: my God! Sorry, Bruce. I'm going off topic. No, that's I, okay. So We're just, right that.
1: kind of just chatting. I hope you don't mind, Paul. So, what's next for you then? I mean, I know you're—you may or may not write some songs. Are you producing more stuff, or what are you? What are well, you up to?
0: Do? Right, right, uh,
1: right now. Uh, there's
0: a documentary movie being made about the Butthole Surfers oh, wow. by a guy named Tom Stern who we've worked with back in the eighties we've known him forever and he's he's a real good guy and and i feel really good about him making the documentary and so i went into our butthole surfer tape vaults and been pulling out old analog multi-track tapes and mixtapes and baking them in a convection oven and transferring them to pro tools and and so i'm i'm like remixing stuff that was mixed horribly back in the day and, and it's like that's a lot of fun so i'm hoping to have a at least one or maybe two albums ready to come out by the time that documentary comes out next spring, hopefully next spring. Um, well, that's really cool, you know,
2: because I, you when you look back at, at, like, especially the 80s, engineers didn't know how to handle music like that. So they weren't mixed well, generally, you know?
0: I was, I was the engineer. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> no, oh, shit. I didn't know
1: Jack. Oh, shit. <laughs> so oh, this yeah. is the exception, Please. then. The butthole surfers yeah. were the exception.
0: Yeah. When we recorded an album, you know, we bought, like, an old one-inch tape tape track machine. That stood seven feet tall and weighed 10,000 pounds. And, and we bought like one microphone, and you plug it into the back and record one thing at a time okay, snare, toms, guitar, bass, and then you fill up wow. a box and then you mix it through some little terrible board that you know <laughs> should, should be taken out and shot. <laughs> and, it's, and it sounds like ass, you know. And, and now I'm getting those old tapes out and, and transferring them to Pro Tools and being able to do it proper. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Is it, is it eye-opening to
2: go back and look at your work from that far, like that long ago?
0: It is, because by now I've forgotten how all that stuff was done. I wasn't sure what I was going to find. took no notes on anything. I've just got all these tapes, and I had to bake them and transfer them to find out what's on them. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and, you know, we were we were screwed up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you ever imagine? I mean, we like like were years trying ago? to be- Trying to
0: make the worst music possible and we were pretty successful doing that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> did you ever imagine oh, 30, 40 years later, that you'd still be doing this and it'd still be relevant?
0: No, I, I was re- pretty certain I'd be dead. <laughs> like, being in the butthole servers was like suicide. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Then then one day I woke up and was like, I don't need to be angry anymore, and maybe living's not so bad. You know, that's, that's the thing about, you know, when I was, when I was a rock star back in the day, I used to dread the thought of being a washed up rock star and, uh, shoot, that's way better. It's way better to be a washed up rock star. It's a lot more fun.
2: (laughs) That's a really interesting take and not something I'm sure a lot of people feel that, but they never say it in public.
0: I hope, I hope they feel that because, you know, it's, it's been real rewarding because I can sit around and wait for the mailman to bring me checks. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah.
2: That is a great situation to be in. Royalty checks rule. Yeah, they you do, you, me,
0: you know, I get paid for work I did 30 years ago, and I make more on it now than I did 30 years ago. So wow. it's weird. I, a- I don't understand how the music business works. I don't want to understand it. It, it. None of it makes any
1: sense to me at all. But somewhere money... Yeah, if the check's in the mailbox, you're good to go.
2: Yep. Just don't ask, don't tell, right? (laughs) Don't
1: ask, don't rock
0: the boat. Where's this money coming
2: from? Shut up and put put it in the bank.
0: you got to give it all back. (laughs) Sorry,
2: I bought a new computer.
1: (laughs) After two years. i
2: built a studio.
1: That's all I've got. Yeah, built a studio,
2: bought some... Yeah, I could talk all day about audio engineering, but that's not really interesting to a lot of people i know it is to me but uh I, I have to ask them what monitors are you using now
0: i just got new monitors and they've changed my life it's the uh adams s1
2: oh great speakers
0: they are i was using a cheaper adams for a long time and it's kind of struggling you know i had the the big 1800 hundred dollar adam subwoofer which is also helps a lot but when i got the s1 it's like i've never loved near field monitors before and i love these monitors i just love them
2: interesting Again, i hear I,
0: everything now
2: that's great and what about treatment in your studio what are you using for treatment
0: oh i've got sound treatment everywhere you know i've got <laughs> a vaulted ceiling and clouds and, and oh bass god. traps and, and the whole nine yards i can you know i can sing in there and and mix in there and that, that's about all i do
2: that's fucking play, awesome record
0: guitar and vocals bass
2: nice oh god <laughs> dream you living you're living the dream honestly
0: yeah you know a bottle of champagne and a bong and there it is <laughs> why leave there you go just get those you're checks in the mail. these days you, know, you don't have to go over to your studio you just send them the mix of the email and that's it
2: that and, that is one thing i loved about the pandemic no more clients in the studio and and i know that sounds really rude because a lot of clients like to be in the studio, but it just slows you down so much. Yeah, never
0: for when you're mixing. Say, so if you want to watch somebody mix, go somewhere else. <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't want absolutely. Them. But now I now that revisions are done just over the internet, it's just the best. Like, you just like, here you go. You can go have a coffee, do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about it. They'll email you a change list if they want, you know, and then you just go through the list, do it, send it back. That's like, the pressure is gone. It's not like sitting... With the clock running and the producer and the client all just hanging over your shoulder
0: and you're just like, "Ah." fuck. In the old days, in the old days, you know, I'd work with a band and the label would be in Los Angeles or New York or whatever. And I'd have to send cassette tapes of mixes. Oh, my God. And, you know, no telling what they're playing those cassettes back on. You know, they just sound radically different from system to system. But that's how you sent mixes back and forth was cassette tape. Right. Oh, and then later, God. it then later it was CDs, you know, and yeah. studios like the high end studios would charge you two hundred bucks to make a CD of your mix to send to somebody. And,
2: oh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember the first time as a musician that I that I said, "Oh, can we get a, a mix burnt of this?" And they're like, "Yeah, that'll be twenty five bucks." I was just like, "What?" I was like, "I have CDs. No, no, you can't use your CDs. Oh, yeah, you use our <laughs> CDs. Yeah, okay. very special. They're, yeah." <laughs> I was like, "Do I have to pay twenty five bucks every time we burn a mix?" Yes. Okay. <laughs> but
0: anyway, yeah, a lot of those studios are out of business now.
2: Well, I ended up working yeah. there for twenty years, so it was okay. I I got it after that, but uh, beautiful API room.
0: I love the API. That's what uh, we mixed Sublime on was API.
2: Yeah, yeah, we had. Uh, it was kind of like a hybrid. It was like a thirty eighty eight kind of. But it was like a 1970 API split. So it was like 32 channels of 550A and the 312C. And then we had a couple 550Bs slotted in there and then we had the monitor section. And we had the the monitor section on the right, which we never used. But um, it was a cool desk, man. Really cool. And it sounded just like that was another piece of gear you just plug in and you're like, oh, that's the sound I've been looking for my whole life.
0: It's like a the Sublime, the Sublime self-titled album, we recorded the basic tracking on an old Class A Neve console. Oh, beautiful. And then overdubbed and mixed on the API, which was, you know, circa 1970 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, those, those boards were both owned by Willie Nelson. And uh, oh. they, closed, they closed the studio with the Neve board and brought the Neve in and made a hybrid board with the API and the Neve together. You know. Oh, Cy- my God. So that's, that's my idea of a super board.
1: So, did you actually My work goodness. with Bradley then? I would. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what was that like?
0: Um, a couple of years ago, I ran across some letters I was writing to the record label during the recording of that album. And it was mostly like help. <laughs> <laughs> it was a circus. I mean, every every day was a circus, and you never knew what was going to happen. You know, it's so like they like. They weren't supposed to bring their dogs, you know, and they brought all their dogs and they chewed up the apartment they were staying in. And they ended up trashing like four sets of condos and they accidentally set the studio on fire and wrecked the studio truck. And, <laughs> wonderful guy. I love him to death. But things get broken when they're around. And uh, yeah, I, they were a lot of fun. I mean, we, we'd come in at like noon to start working. And at one point they took me aside and said, man, we can't start at noon anymore. We're, we're like drunk by noon. I was like, okay, well, let's start early. We'll start at 10, 9, 8, whatever you want. So they, they settled on 10 o'clock, and they came in at 10 o'clock loaded with margaritas and pitchers. They were already smashed. Holy <laughs> oh, shit.
2: <laughs> was, that, was that something that they were doing before they got the record deal, or was that something that came because they had the money from the record deal?
0: I didn't know them before the record deal, but I, I have a feeling they were just continuing their ways. Yeah, yeah
2: it's so interesting you know a record label wouldn't touch a band like that right now i don't think you know where they were just out of control wasted all the time
0: they've learned some hard lessons you know that album almost didn't come out at all you know after bradley after bradley died they were just going to can that record and then then the song got leaked to k-rock or something and became a hit and they decided to release it yeah it's massive
2: yeah i mean yeah that was that
0: was a close call Wow, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's and crazy.
2: That, a very influential record, too, for a lot of people. And the bass tones on those records were just unbelievably good.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Mr. Eric Wilson. He was playing this green bass guitar that some guy made for him. The guy made the bass guitar and he made Bradley's guitar. And that was also an excellent instrument. And, you know, I yeah. came into the studio with all my guitars and stuff that they could borrow, and none of them stood up to, to what they had.
2: Wow. It's interesting, you know, that bass tone. Like every bass player I've ever met, especially when that record was like really blowing up, they were like, I have to try and get the sound, my bass to sound like this. Like it was like something people were striving
0: for at that time, you know? It's it's wonderful. We uh, put him through like an SVT with two uh, 8x10 cabinets. And we mic'd one 8x10 cabinet down the hall, and the other 8x10 cabinet we put next to the drums face down and and let Eric sit on it so he could feel the bass. Oh wow! And that that really locked him in good. Wow, that that, that I would have never.
2: So, like you're saying, you mic the bass from a distance down the hall. You didn't actually. Well, no, I
0: put put the other cabinet down the hall. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. The, the microphone was probably you know six feet away from the cabinet still.
2: Still, I mean, with a the, with that much bottom end, that's fine. You know, yeah,
0: you're you quarter... kind of need a little distance to get that bottom end.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. But yeah, no, sorry, Bruce. I no, know that's fine. We've only got like three minutes out. left
1: in the Zoom call. So do we miss anything you want to cover? And Paul? I really. though, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I never, I never wanted to cover anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never wanted to cover anything. anyway.
1: <laughs> Perfect. So you didn't <laughs> mind I the
0: meandering. I want my then.
2: champagne and I want my bong and I want to get back to my I studio. Got, I got
0: some tamales on the stove right now. So when this is over. I got tamales and, and chili
2: for you. Okay, well, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really great conversation. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks,
0: and let me know when this is coming out. I'll post it to my socials and all. Absolutely. Be well. (laughs) Right on. Thank you, guys. Good chat. Thanks,
2: man. Cheers. Thanks. Hi,
1: this is Paul Phelps.